HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. The world is changing faster than ever, and you need a website to go with it. Whether you're a seasoned pro looking to build your following or just starting out with a brand new idea, you need a landing page that's bold, innovative, and uniquely yours. Whatever your passion, you need a web designer with experience, panache, and heart. We can't help you with any of that. Hi, I'm Lou Bank. And I'm Greg Benson. Are we Silicon Valley tech visionaries? No, we're podcast hosts. And that's basically the same thing. And we're here to tell you about Ancestral Agave Syrup. Ancestral Agave Syrup is the 100% pure nectar of the agave plant. Now, wait a minute, you're thinking. I've had 100% pure agave nectar. Well, not like this, you haven't. That stuff is processed with a diffuser, which introduces acid. Plus, it comes from Blue Weber, a monoculture that dominates farms, depletes the soil, and won't help you grow your brand or expand your e-commerce functionality. Ancestral Agave Syrup, on the other hand, is made by slowly cooking down the pure agua miel from Salmiana Agaves in Hidalgo and Tlaxcala, two states that have been harvesting those plants for generations. It also won't expand your e-commerce functionality, but it will grow your brand if your brand is person who makes kick-ass margaritas or pecan pies or pancakes. Unfortunately, the families behind this tasty stuff are being offered big beer company bucks to rip out their agave and plant barley instead, which would be a crime because ancestral agave syrup is about as far from the processed stuff as 100% pure Vermont maple syrup is from that sticky bottle at a diner. So don't build a homepage from one of several easy-to-use templates, but do grab Ancestral Agave Syrup today. Our first 25 customers will also receive a special limited edition Agave Superhero comic book. So do not wait. Protect the land, make better drinks, and save the bats by grabbing some today. Go to... Wait, what was that about bats? Uh, yeah, it's an important food source on the migration path of the Mexican long-nosed bat. Huh. Yeah, the flowering stalks of the agave also provide protection from predators. Oh, that's cool. Should we get back to the ad now? Yeah, let's do that. Go to AncestralAgave.com or click the link in the show notes to grab some today. Ancestral Agave Syrup. It won't help you build a beautiful website, but it will make your cocktails taste really, really good. Dabba, 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 dabba. 
Lou Bank. And I'm Jay. And Wait, 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 wait. We're interrupting this regularly scheduled episode of Agave Road Trip for a similar but different episode of Agave Road Trip. So, I'm still Lou Bank. But I am Sergio Garnier. And I'll get some quarrel. And this is Agave Road Trip. Hey, whoa, Lou, I know why I'm here, but... Quetzalcoatl? Why is he with us? <laughs> okay, so originally this was supposed to be an episode I recorded with Jay West about my frustration with the lack of journalistic practices in food journalism. And the main focus was this incredibly flawed infographic about whiskey that was released by 750 Daily. But then... This very week, the Washington Post dropped an article titled, The Plants Used to Make the World's Best Mezcal Are Disappearing. And that, Sergio, that's an important, and Quetzalcoatl, that's an important subject, but they get a bunch of stuff wrong. And I want to illustrate that by quoting the article, and I don't want the quotes to get lost in my voice and in your voice, Sergio. So I figured I'd ask Quetzalcoatl here to read those quotes and be that third voice. Hey, hang on. You, you know, Lou, I'm inventor of books and calendars, giver of maze, and sometimes symbol of death and resurrection. Right, Lou? Yeah. And now you're also the voice of flawed journalism, Quetzalcoatl. Deal with it. Anyway, this episode I recorded with Jay will run now. It's going to run next week. And if you listen weekly, it might sound a little odd to you, both that there are two episodes in a row dealing with bad food journalism, especially in light of the fact that the second episode doesn't at all reference the first episode, this one. So anyway, that's why. So, am I in next week's episode, too? No. Anyway, Sergio, this article in the Washington Post, it's about at-risk populations of agave. Or at least it purports to be about at-risk populations of agave in Mexico. Quetzalcoatl, can you please read the first quote? Foreign mezcal drinkers have adopted a taste for the wildest, scarcest agaves. Okay, so, Sergio, what do you think? Do foreign mezcal drinkers truly look for mezcal made from the wildest, scarcest agave? Well, I think mezcal drinkers look for the most delicious or what they consider beautiful agave spirits the more they get educated about it. And actually, this article specifically talks about Tepestate, which is kind of a case of its own. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a trend. I, I think I think people, as they get more educated with agave spirits, with mezcal, and as they get exposed to another espadín, another espadín, and you, they just get bored of the same notes, the same kind of expression, they are looking for something else. Actually, I don't know if, if, if you are with me here, but many of the mezcal drinkers begin with tequila. And my theory is that once they get bored with tequila or they want something else, they went to mezcal. When you when you get into mezcal, you get into espadín much of the times as the entry-level mezcal, we can say. And then you get exposed to the other ones. And then as you go, okay, this is nice. Well, you, you know, that's certainly the narrative that I hear all the time in this bubble 
which I have constructed for myself, right? Like, as a guy who has a podcast that helps Green Gags bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico, um, and as a guy who runs a non-for-profit called Sacred that helps improve quality of life in the rural Mexican communities where heritage agave spirits are made, you know, I end up surrounding myself with exactly those people that you described. But... You know, I think it's kind of like, uh, you know, all of my my uh, leftist friends in the 20s, 20, in 20, wait, what year, 2016 elections who were like, oh, yeah, there's no way that Donald Trump's going to win because they surround themselves with people who said, you know, nobody's going to vote for Donald Trump. And he won. Right. And I think it's the same case here. Like you're saying that people get tired of the same taste over and over again with the Espadine Mescal. And and that's true but it's not accurate. Well, let me rephrase that. Maybe not bored, but they want to explore more. They want to try more. Who's and they? also there's the, there's this snobby, like, mezcal drinkers. Well, but who are, you know, you're saying mezcal drinkers. In 2022, oh, yeah. just over 91% of all mezcal was made in Oaxaca. All, mm-hmm. right? 91%. And just over 88% of that was made with Espadine. Now, yes. if they are getting bored and with it... And then about 60%, and this is very interesting, about 60% of the all mezcal, of all the mezcal produced is going to the US, 50-ish, almost 60. So that's interesting. So that's your, like, the US consumers. And and how so are we consuming it? And how are we drinking it, Sergio? Well, uh, what, what I know is most of it's in cocktails. <laughs> which, I, which, which I was very surprised to discover. So I, I released my brand, I introduced the US like two years ago. I was exposed to this cocktail culture that I was not familiar with. And it really surprised me. So I think it's in. It's also very related to why Espadín and why the cocktail, why the same notes they are, they are looking in, in their cocktails, in their recipes. And, but yeah, they, the ones drinking uh, other agave spirits or more interested in, in, in other wild agaves or more rare agaves are definitely the minority. Yeah. 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 Tiny, tiny, tiny little drop in the bucket, which is exactly the point I'm making. You know, when I, when I looked, uh, when I was preparing for this episode and I looked on mezcalreviews.com, the fine website, mezcalreviews.com for, um, so your, your mezcal is made from Lamparillo, right? Yes. Yeah. So when I looked for other spirits made from Lamparillo on mezcalreviews.com, they have exactly six listings. Three of them are yours. If in fact, Foreign mezcal drinkers had adopted a taste for the wildest, scarcest agaves. You would be a very wealthy man right now, Sergio. Yeah, and that's not the case. <laughs> Obviously not, because you're not getting paid to do this this uh, podcast with me. So, oh really? Yeah, sorry. Okay, so you know, if if the problem isn't that foreign markets are consuming too much wild agave, is it perhaps the case that the problem is that Mexicans are consuming too much wild agave. Hmm. Again, more of the, the the vast majority of mezcal, well, not vast majority, but it's consuming the U.S. It's more than it's being consumed in Mexico. We have to look at the context of the communities because let, let's go back to how mezcal was done and this monoculture, a single agave mezcal is, is sort of a new thing. They will mm-hmm. just consume whatever they have in land. You say you you make lamparillo. That's the only agave that grows in in, in my region. For me, that's the only option. 
answer thought that is not an agave spirits. So communities will will consume whatever it grows in their milpas in in their fields. So so if that's car uh, whiskey, if that's tepestate, is that tabarata? That's what they are having. Yeah. When when the business part got involved, yes, but it turned out to be the most um, the best business, the most profitable agave. That's that's a different story. You know, and that's exactly the point I wanted to get to, right? So if you look at the IUCN red list, and that really is the gold standard uh, globally for tracking at-risk species of plants, animals, whatever you want to call it. You know, you're going to find that there are a few species that are earmarked as at-risk for extinction because of mezcal consumption. Um, and I would say that in, in a handful of those cases, it is entirely local consumption that's put it at risk. But, you know, I, I, I think trying to paint that as um, trying to paint that as the communities being irresponsible misses the point because the vast majority of those cases, and there aren't a lot of them, but the vast majority of those cases are in exactly two places. One is in the Tehuacan Bioreserve, right, which stretches over pieces of both Oaxaca and Puebla, and the other place is in, uh, in Jalisco. And I think the problem, it's sort of, it's, it's the same problem, but a different problem, which is you've, you've got in Jalisco, it's all being turned into blue Weber agave in service of our consumption of tequila around the world. And as a consequence, these tiny communities that would have been able to take better care of their agriculture are no longer capable of doing that because, in essence, the giant capitalist machine that I'm a part of rolls into town, takes over the land, and suddenly their options for where, what kind of agave they get, where they get it, is more defined by tequila than it is by, by our consumption of tequila than it is by their consumption of their local traditions. And then you look at the Tehuacan Bioreserve, these guys are being told you can't harvest anything. This land has to be preserved. And so as a consequence, like what are they supposed to do to get agave to carry on their cultural heritage? So you know, can you blame them for harvesting whenever they are actually able to harvest? And harvesting, in the case of the, the two agaves that are at risk in the Tehuacan Bioreserve, right? Both of them are tiny agaves. What are you going to do? Harvest giant agaves and try and smuggle them around or the tiny ones? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. This is future Lou. Uh, here, well, you know, uh, in, on the one hand, to annoy Roy with yet another uh, edit. Uh, but also, I happen to be having lunch after I recorded this episode with Sergio. I was having lunch with Hector Ortiz. And Hector, he and I were talking about this article and he had something to say that I feel supports the thing that past Lou just said. And Hector's a lot smarter than me. He's got a Ph.D. in wildlife and wildlands conservation. He's a plant scientist and natural resources professional. And he's now over at uh, the Chicago Botanic Garden as a conservation scientist specializing in agave. So I wanted to add Hector's voice to this conversation, Hector. And this is like condemning the people like extracting for me, for example, not knowing what's the social aspect, not knowing what's the cultural aspect. It's dangerous because culturally we do it. 
So I, when I was back, in home, back home in my early childhood, who would condemn a little boy, a little kid that will go with grandpa and harvest agave and trade it for mezcal up north? We didn't know what we were doing really, but we knew what we were doing. We were extracting agaves and we exchanging for mezcal. We traded. But the thing is, it was a different time in history. The demand, the trends were completely different. And it was more driven by culture. We want to have a, the best trago, the best tastes. We didn't want the commercial. We didn't want to go and buy cheap tequila. We want mezcal. We want bacanora, the good one, el bueno. And that's what we did. And I hear we have the same, the same thing. So people don't know sometimes. Okay, the floor is back to you past Lou and past Sergio. They're not the problem, we're the problem. And there are ways to harvest. There are ways to harvest. If we follow, we're having this discussion about certification, about how it involves some sustainable practices when harvesting agave. I don't think the rule is very simple. You use 80% of, of the, well, just you use mature plants. I just use 80% of the mature plants that reach maturity each year, the ones that throw cuteness and, and let, because agave is such a resilient, incredible plant. Just one plant will give you about 5,000 uh, seeds. Oh, hundreds of 5, thousands. 5,000, like massive amounts, depends Yeah, depends on the species. Fair. And I think it's just a matter of ordering how we harvest. And 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 it's, not, it's a plant that will die anyway. So if, if we can use it in, in a balanced way, the challenge in Mexico also I want to talk about is the way the land, the land is owned. Most of the land is communal land. So that is very challenging when when having an agreement of how to use the land and, and which plants to harvest. But then when when other agents come, mm-hmm. uh, big big companies and, and put value on those lands and on those plants, that's when the the balance gets altered. Well you you know you're you're saying corporations and you're not wrong but the bigger piece of it is when the federal government and the state government come in and they adjust laws that allow for that kind of harvesting that take away the power of the ahedal um uh, control of the community control this is exactly what we're talking about in both Jalisco and in the Tehuacan bioreserve again i think it's 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 a way of having that relation with the land Sort of like the milpa situation, where you can you can harvest, you can use the land in, in a friendly way with with uh, without killing the populations. And again, every community has their context. I'm, I'm not familiar with what's happening in Tehuacan, but I'm familiar with what's happening in in Mapimi. And also Mapimi uh, on and the region where I am, it's it's also next to um, a natural protected area, and they are actually working with the with with the with the landowners, with the hidatarios, and say, mm-hmm. "Hey, let, let's let's have a let's use the land in a sustainable way or in a friendly way. Let's let's use it in a ordered fashion, and I think that would be the best way to to preserve, like use it, uh, harvest, uh, but in a healthy, let's say, way." So okay, so so to that point, can you describe for me what your process is? Right, you've got this twenty-four thousand acre ranch of wild, you know, I'm going to say wild agave, but it's more than agave, 
right? You've got a 24,000 acre ranch of wild vegetation, wild animals. Of desert. <laughs> of desert. But it's, well, it's desert. You know, I think, I think uh, it's easy to say desert and then think of those pictures of Lawrence of Arabia. Maybe you just have to be my age to think Lawrence yeah. of Arabia of just, right? But you've, there's tons of beautiful vegetation. Yeah. I wouldn't call it lush, but boy, there's plants everywhere you look. So so my my context is, is very particular. Mm -hmm. You know, not everyone has access to, to that amount of to that land extension. So the way I do it or, or the way we do it with, with Ultramundo is we, we have mapped out how many agave we have. So we leave at least 20% of the quiotes, uh go to seed. And then we use 80% or less. Sometimes, actually, last year we let like 40% of the of the plants to reproduce and, and, okay. and not use them. And that will allow me to, to, to a total amount of, of liters of mezcal that I produce. If I limit myself to that uh, amount, I will never break the life cycle of the plants and I will have basically endless uh, supply of agave. But if, you, if I break that limit, then I will start... Uh, using or, or minimizing the, the population. That's if I will just the wild agave because I'm also doing some practices to to regenerate and repopulate with agave. Right. I want to get to that, right? So it's not like when you're saying you're going to let uh, uh, 20%, 30%, 40% go to seed, it's not as though you just let it go to seed and stand out there in the wild and hope that those seeds spread in all the right places yeah. and actually germinate, right? What are you doing with those seeds? Well, germination rate is super low, less than 1% of, of, of the seeds that are thrown there actually turn into agave plants. When you, it leave it, very... when, you, when you leave it to its natural way of reproduction, right? Yeah, in, in the, because Lamparillo actually most of the reproduction is done through hijuelos, through, right. through pups. Right, the little so clones was, off the roots. Yeah, yeah I, I found it very interesting in, in going back to the Washington Post piece where, where they were describing guys just throwing the seeds and then becoming plants. That's impossible in our land. Again, the context of every different community of every region in Mexico is, is different. So for us, what we're doing, so we as at least 20% of the quiotes are left to seed. So we're collecting some of the seeds and we're germinating them we, in, in a improvised uh, nursery. And then we still have, haven't decided yet what we're going to do, but there are ways to, cult to, to cultivate as well. We want to keep it uh, semi-wild, but we are we're starting still deciding which way to go. We are also selecting, spacing up the pups, are replanting them in, in other areas of, of the right to have a more stable population of agave. But also there, I, I, I've been looking at uh, the polyculture with biodiversity system that is basically like the milpa system that it could not qualify as wild, but it's, I think it's just imitating what naturally will happen in, in the land. Just try to manage it in a, in a way that works for us both, for us mezcal producers, but also for the land and, and just keeping the, the biodiversity and the other plants, as you were saying, in place. So this is perfect. So, so you, you, like, you're not directly speaking to the ne the next point that I want to make, um, but you're tap dancing around it. And uh, Quetzalcoatl, can you read that next quote for me, please? Surely, 
The growing global market for mezcal has spurred a wild agave rush. Some species have effectively vanished. Harvesters now keep word of mature varietals. A few Araucanos hidden away in remote hills. A couple of Tobalas slung over a deep ravine. They keep them a closely held secret. So, you know, Sergio, when I hear that quote, it reads to me like the writers either don't understand that both Tobala and Araucano are, in addition to growing in the wild, are being farmed, or maybe they don't care. You know, I, I guess this is, in fact, my confusion. I, I, I've been to big Araucano and Tobala farms, like massive, yeah. in Oaxaca. Right. And, and for years now, Sacred has been handing out 10,000 Tobala seedlings to uh, to mescaleros all over Oaxaca. Like so. So, you know, my my big problem with the article and in general with this whole conversation around at risk agave is do we want to preserve the biodiversity of agave or do we want to preserve agaves in the wild? Because those are two very different things. And I believe those are largely two things that are at odds with one another. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it's we, we, it's the, relation with, the relationship we have with food. Mm -hmm. we, need to, we need to do something. We, we need to, ha to have a relationship with, with the farm, with the field, with the, with the food that we're consuming, with all the plants that give us food. And if we consider agave in that in that category, then our relationship needs to be different. And yeah. keeping it just in the wild by itself, it's I, I think it's not like maybe for a botanic garden, but for a food consumption or drink consumption context, is is not ideal. Well, you know, if if you um, if you look at the IUCN red list, right, you're going to see that Cupriata is listed as an endangered agave. Really, but here again. You know, just just like uh, just like the uh, the fields of Araucano and the fields of Tobala, there are fields and fields and fields of it in Michoacan. And it you looks know, to me that they are getting out of context. Maybe it could be that Araucano it's very scarce in a specific mm -hmm. region in Oaxaca, mm -hmm. or the Cupriati in a specific region. They could say Lampari is super rare. When when I was when I began this project, and I went to Central Durango. Lamparillo was like a very, very scarce species. And, and, and then I, I, I told him, hey, guys, come over and see. That's the only agave that grows here. So I think it, it's, it's uh, uh, they are taking out of context and, and not looking at the whole picture. Right. Because there's a lot of species that, that grow in different places. And, they are, and then the community will consume or would harvest whatever it grows in their land. Right. And so, you know, when you when you... Put that problem into the context of this article and its failure to discuss the problem from those two different sides. You know, I, I, I think it stops it stops you in your tracks, because if what you want to do is preserve these different varieties of agave, what you want to do is preserve the biodiversity of specifically agave. I would contend you want to encourage people to drink more varieties of agave, not discourage it. And that's exactly what I would argue this article does. It should be instead discouraging you from drinking Espadine or, you know, even more to the point, Blue Weber, because those are two species that have been taking over all of the wildlands, all of the places where local food was grown, 
in respectively Jalisco and Oaxaca. I, I couldn't agree more. I think and, and we're, we're, we're seeing the same picture. Like what happened in tequila, what happened to Blue Weber is not exactly what is happening with, with Espadín. We have that case to maybe take better decisions. Yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, I, I've got a bigger point than that, too. But while we're talking about this specifically, harvesting from the wild, growing right, growing from seed, letting the plants go to seed. Like when I when I look at that article with the Washington from the, on the Washington Post website and it's a beautiful interactive. That's yeah, nice. But when you look behind the story about finding the barrel. Oh, there's a, there's a, some barrel that's just starting to throw its flowers. We need to go and harvest it, right? And they run off and they harvest it. If you look at the video that is running behind that very story that says, preserve the agave, preserve the wild agave, you literally see them. And I don't understand at all if, 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 I, I don't understand this unless they literally... Yeah, it's kind of contradictory, right? Oh, oh hang on. I'm guessing you didn't notice this. It took me a few readings to notice it. They are literally harvesting a barrel that had shot the coyote all the way up and was flowering. They harvested <laughs> that. That's so, terrible, man. Exactly. Like it already <laughs> they definitely spent... did that because the journalist was there because that, that plant that... is not going to serve for reproduction or for mezcal. It's just for the picture. That is, it's for the video. Just go back for and video. watch this on the website and you'll see this most oh, heartbreaking man, taking terrible. down a flowering barrel. Oh my goodness. It's an at-risk species of agave. It's in the wild. Right. So anyway, so like I would have loved to have read in that story and then they let, you know, half of it, they let a third of it, they let 20 percent of it go to seed, but they didn't. In fact, the one that was about to convert to seed, they just took it out and said, screw it. Let's just go ahead and make some booze. So anyway, terrible, but, but that but all of that, all of that is still just a tiny picture. All of that, I think, is incredibly relevant. And I, you know, I'm not so I don't want to be dismissive of agave, but agave is just one thing, right? And mezcal is just one product harvested or made from the agave. And if you look at the IUCN red list, like it it, it includes 156 species of agave. And of those 156 species of agave, 77 of them are listed um, as being of least concern in terms of extinction. So, you know, forget about it. Don't think about it. Right? I'll definitely get into that list because now, now, now you're making me have a lot of thoughts. Yeah, but then you've got three that are near threatened, 33 that are vulnerable, 20 that are endangered, 18 that are critically endangered. And if you start looking at the reasons that they're endangered, you know, yes, a few of them are listed as endangered because they're used for making mezcal. But, you know, that that list like that includes your potatorum, your tobala, which you and I agree. OK, well, you're growing from from uh, you, you've got farms of tobala. So is that really the problem? Right. Yeah, but, that's nonsense. But truly, if you look at the reasons the vast majority of the reason that agave is at risk is because we as a species can't stop reproducing. It's urban sprawl. 
It's agriculture in service of our food. It's cattle ranching. It's wildfires. It, literally, some of it, there's, there are as many agave species at risk of extinction because collectors are poaching them to put in their homes as species that are at risk because of mezcal production. And then this is just agave, right? The bigger piece of this is, let's go back to that idea of agriculture to feed us, right? If you look at the numbers from 2022, 656 million liters of tequila and mezcal combined, right, were produced. 656 million liters. Three years earlier in 2019, so this is before Modelo became the best-selling beer in the USA. USA. <laughs> in 2019... 124.5 million hectoliters. So that would be 12.45 billion liters of beer were produced in Mexico. That's 20 times the amount of tequila and mezcal that were produced three years later. And, you know, I, I, I think that's a huge impact. It's Nothing a huge impact. To, to, and, it, to and it's a huge impact on the land. And that's what we're really yep. talking about, right? We we don't want to preserve agave. We want to preserve agave as part of an overall ecosystem because that ecosystem is where we live. And if we just keep focusing on distractions like, well, mezcal drinkers are drinking too much wild agave while, you know, while the journalist pops open his Tecate, <laughs> We're gonna have some real problems, you know. And I don't, I don't, I, yeah, I, I, I do mean to be dismissive of the journalist who wrote this article, um, and I mean to be dismissive of him because of this specific article. But you know, I clicked on the link to see what else he had written, and like these last three or four articles are all up. Like he spends a lot of time reporting on war zones, which has to be incredibly stressful. And, and he probably thought, oh, this is great. I can just go and write about something light and easy. And and then he found out, oh, there's a problem here, too. And that had to be disappointing. So, you know, I I, I, I mean to be dismissive, but I don't mean to be um, uh, pejorative towards him, rude towards him, uh, dismissive towards him. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think if we really want to solve this problem, and I, I, I really do believe our diminishing biodiversity is a bigger problem as war, we need to have a 30,000-foot view and people are drinking too much wild agave is the opposite of a 30,000 foot view. Yeah, just be more mindful of what we eat and what we drink and how, and I was, and, and going back to the American consumer, I was really surprised how educated and how concerned, at least the, the buyers for the bars and the restaurants were in how was this, uh, the agave source for the spirit, what's the impact, that is having in the community. And I think that's the right kind of conversation. It's not stop doing mezcal, but how are you doing it? How are your harvesting practices? And I think that's that's the way to go. And the same for every food or every drink we consume. Yeah, I would love to see those exact same buyers asking that question of beer, of vodka, <laughs> of whiskey, of wine, right? Of everything. But I'm glad they asked them to me because then I, I could go home and, and show them what we're doing because we're very proud and, I, and we believe that that's a more sustainable or or less or more friendly way of doing it with the environment and the community. Yeah. And 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 but we are a tiny, tiny brand, you know, compared to the big players. When big players start moving towards these practices, that could have a definitely a greater impact. Yeah. 
Well, and I guess that uh, that is exactly the point, and I guess that makes this a wrap. Anything you want to add, Quetzalcoatl? Yeah, I, I would just want to add that I think I was a complete waste of my time. There are bigger things for me to do. I've got ants to chase under volcanoes. Okay, got that. Sergio, <laughs> anything for you? No, Lou, thank you for having me. Okay, I'll see you next episode, Sergio. Adios. You've been listening to Agave Road Trip, the critically acclaimed award-winning podcast that helps Gring X bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. We're blessed with sound engineering by Roy Sierra and a theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Marco Ricos. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, well, I'm sure you'll let us know that too. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Agave Road Trip. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pit Bulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization using the power of education educational storytelling about food to build a more equitable, resilient food system. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you hear on Heritage Radio Network might lead you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If you drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Drive responsibly. Eat responsibly, too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive. Do not walk either. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to stretch every 30 minutes. If you stretch every 30 minutes, please stay within your defined stretching capacity. And consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you don't have a doctor, maybe Dr. Ryan Acock, the cocktail MD, can help you out. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip. Out.